This is Conversations on Healthcare. Dr. Ken Govey, welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. You know, you've done such incredible work. You've developed the individual management for patient-centered target programs known as Impact Care, uh, and the Penn Center for Community Health Workers supports this model. Can you give our audience uh, an overview of, the, of your approach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so first of all, again, thank you for having me. Um, I am currently the CEO of Impact Care. We spun out of the University of Pennsylvania earlier this year and are now a public benefit corporation um, that's really just dedicated to scaling this work across the country. Congratulations. And as you heard in the, thank you, thank you. Uh, and as you heard in the intro, what uh, we get out of bed to do is to remake the American health workforce in service of equity and efficiency. And we do this by ensuring that community health workers have every chance of success. Um, and that requires uh, really six things to go right. Number one, an organization that is building a community health workforce really needs to know what they're doing. They need to have a strategic plan um, to know what problems they're trying to solve, how they want this workforce to help them address those problems, what the priority populations are, and really kind of how best to position the workforce within their organizational context. Number two, they have to hire the right people. You know, fundamentally, this is a human resource innovation and it's only as good as the people who are doing the work. Um, we help organizations uh, do this by actually launching hyper-local but technology-enabled recruitment campaigns that surface natural helpers who already exist all around us in our communities. And we screen them for traits like empathy and non-judgment and reliability. Number three, we have to train um, this workforce as well as their supervisors. And that's something that we do. And we have to provide ongoing professional development so that you can really maximize retention. And then the last couple of pieces have to do with What's the day-to-day -day workflows? You need technology-enabled workflows that are grounded in social and behavioral science that help community health workers meet people where they are and really drive meaningful change. And you need a supervision layer that supports these community health workers, make sure that they're advancing in their careers, um, even as they are delivering the types of outcomes that we're all looking for. Well, that is fascinating and congratulations on the new or new-ish uh, organization. Uh, and I, I think this is probably still true even though uh, you've got the new organization. I understand you're an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania Perelman School of Medicine. Is that still correct? Well, I was a full professor and since we spun out, um, I'm now adjunct faculty, but my full-time role is with Impact Care. All right. Well, great. And I'm not sure if this was past or, or current, uh, mm -hmm. but I was uh, really interested uh, in what I'd read that you and your colleagues were able to walk through the emergency room, a great example of going where the patients are, unfortunately, sometimes, uh, and looking to talk with and enroll patients in the program. Really curious, what did you say uh, to people in that moment, in that setting, and how do they react with the uh, opportunity to be enrolled in the IMPACT program? Yeah, so to take a step back, I mean, we've been doing this work for 15 years, and we've started and continue to make sure that patients and people are at the center of everything that we do in terms of design and execution of IMPACT. 
Um, in fact, the first piece of this 15 years ago was that a woman named Tamala Carter, who's a community member from Southwest Philadelphia, she and I partnered and interviewed 1,500 people on porches and bedsides and in emergency rooms and you know shelters. We asked them, what makes it hard for you to stay healthy and what should we be doing differently? We use that to then design the impact model um, based on the answers to the questions that we were asking folks about how they would design a community health worker program. We then rolled it out and tested it in three separate randomized control trials and found that it did in fact move the needle on health outcomes like you know, diabetes control, um, you know, mental health, quality of care, and then cost of care by reducing hospitalizations. And then we started to scale it across at this point, we're working with partners across 20 different states. And in every you know um, layer of this, it does always come back to us looking somebody in the eye and asking that person, what do you think? What do you want? And so when an impact community health worker sits down and meets their patient for the first time, they don't talk at them. They listen to them and they say, what do you want to do in order to improve your life and your health? And how can I help you with that? And someone may say, you know, I haven't spoken to my mother in the last five years and I really need to repair that relationship. Um, or I need to battle this eviction notice or, you know what, I just want to plant an urban garden. The patient gets to choose their own adventure and the community health worker is able to transfer that power to them. And I think you know, to your point, that is why people engage at high at such high rates. You know, we have a 70 percent engagement rate with impact, um, which is a lot higher than you might have with other um, CHW programs or other case management programs. And, and that's because, well, who doesn't want to be asked what they want to do and get to do that? You know, I, I love your first of all, your your six pillars that you have as sort of the foundation. And then this concept, uh, you know, to, to know where you're headed, you need to know where you came from. And you really went out on the porches and figured out where you came from, right? It really sort of anchored you in that community, gave you some really important lessons learned. Um, and uh, anything that stands out as you sort of look at that uh, approach? And I'm wondering if you're sort of, as you spread your model, are you asking people to sort of consider it? I know one of the things that we do at our health center is we open a new site, we go and knock on 5,000 household doors because we want to change the power dynamic so that we're in their home uh, sharing information versus sort of having them come in. So it sounds like a lot of empowerment's going on uh, in the work that you're doing, really getting uh, a core understanding of, of the population that uh, you want to work collaboratively to make a difference. A hundred percent, you know, th this is all about, Mark, um, power. Um, I believe, and I think there's a lot of science to support the fact that when you talk about <clears throat> health inequity or, you know, a, a lot of the population health issues that we have in this country, you can't address that with pills or vaccines or even necessarily more primary care visits because it's not just an imbalance of disease, it really reflects an imbalance of power because a lot of these health inequities are created by a lack of control over behavioral choices or living conditions or power structures. And so 
how do you change the map of health in America? Um, power has to change hands. And right now, the American healthcare system is one of the most entrenched power structures in the world. And so how do you transfer power from within the healthcare system to the people in the communities that we are serving? That is the inspiration for impact. And, you know, there's the answer to that question permeates every layer of this. Number one, it's about the workforce. You have to hire people from within those communities and lift them up so that they're not just, you know, serving the health system agenda, but they're really able to set the agenda alongside the people that they're serving. So, yes. Great. <laughs> You know, one of the most uh, important contributions uh, I, I think you and your team have been making is to show durational impact over time, right? We get so excited, uh, often very good research, uh, but it's in a period of time and then one wonders, is it sustained? But I think you've shown uh, some those sustained impacts over time. And one area is around the cost savings, which you know we only hope that those cost savings get reinvested uh, in the community. But I believe the uh, research just for our listeners uh, shows $2,500 annually uh, per patient for every $1 returning uh, almost $2.50 uh, in savings, dropping hospitalizations very significantly, uh, which is one of the most challenging things to do over time and increasing satisfaction with primary care. So tell us about this in terms of uh, duration over time. In and of itself, the impact model, having these or other factors coming into play, just your, your perspective as the leader of this over so many years um, to get these kinds of returns on investment, to make the reinvestments, and what's next? How do we, how do we continue to build on that? Yeah, all fantastic questions. You know, what is the secret sauce to having an effective intervention and then having the effects persist? Um, is we don't know, you know, in some cases, we know that it works, but the understanding of why it works, um, these mechanisms are really complex. Um, I think that in part, again, it's because community health workers are asking people what they want and think they need to do in order not just to improve a single target outcome. You know, sometimes we get so siloed in healthcare mm -hmm. that we think, okay, let's get, make sure we have to get this person their mammogram. We have to get this person their vaccine. But when you take a step back and you say, you know, Margaret, what do you want in order to improve your life and your health? Then you can really think about some deep structural um, changes. And when you're able to accomplish that um, with somebody as their community health worker, you are much more likely to see a lasting effect um, that, you know, persists beyond the immediate intervention period even. So if I'm your community health worker and we work on some things together and then I say, hey, OK, goodbye, you know, good luck, the effects continue to persist, um, which is really remarkable. And I think it's because there's some deep underlying change there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to pull the thread on Margaret's uh, question about value and really talk a little bit about the dollars and the cents, the sense we've got from you already about the value of this program. And you've uh, been leading a lot of growth. Um, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, many state Medicaid programs, 18 states have used their impact model to create their own community health worker. Walk through for people who are excited about this, but just trying to understand, do other people get this who are payers? <laughs> and uh, how, how are they reacting? And do you see any exemplars 
out there as you look at the Medicaid agency, which is so important to those in serving the larger, broader safety net community to have them come on board. Tell us, tell us about some of your experiences. Absolutely. Um, fantastic question. You know, you can have uh, an amazing program, but without the right enabling policy environment, um, it's hard to spread. And so what I am really excited about, and I think why this is really the moment for community health workers is that there is there is really starting to be enabling policies. Um, number one, CMS uh, Medicare just introduced the first ever billing code for community health worker services, uh, and that was introduced just you know today, really, in the new physician fee schedule. Um, those services are, are modeled after evidence-based impact services. And we really believe that that is going to set the tone for all payers as Medicare often does. Um, so that is a real bright spot in the policy landscape. Uh, number two, there are um, real exemplars in the Medicaid space. Uh, one agency that I wanna call out is TenCare, um, which is the state Medicaid agency of Tennessee. They are really out front in terms of considering not only how do we think about sustainable financing for community health workers, but how do we make sure, you know, that when the money comes, these programs are built right, um, that we are really, you know, investing in the infrastructure uh, that community health workers will need in order to be successful. You know, again, that goes back to things like, number one, making sure that you're hiring the right people um, who come from within the communities in the first place and not just checking a box saying, oh, somebody took a training program, but they happen to be, you know, uh, some other uh, job from the suburbs and they just took a training, but that doesn't make you a community health worker. So hiring the right people, investing in their ongoing professional development, um, providing the right uh, workflows and technology, they are really, um, I think, out front in that regard. And then the third bright spot is that there are um, efforts to really um, create some what we call integrity guardrails around this workforce. What I mean by that is when funding comes, and I think it will come, um, you know, billable codes or value-based payment um, is, is really starting to um, surface for uh, reimbursing and covering the workforce. Uh, how do you make sure that it doesn't corrode the workforce? Again, you know, what, how can you guard against um, all sorts of different people who aren't community health workers checking a box and billing for that um, service description while they're doing, you know, some sort of a telephonic checkbox case management. URAC, um, which is a national accreditation uh, agency, is creating standards um, that will ensure that the quality of the services um, are maintained and using sort of evidence-informed best practices and will also protect the integrity of the workforce itself. So I think those are um, policy factors that are really making me feel bullish about not only the spread of the workforce, but the spread of best practices to support the workforce. I know in, uh, in the 18 states that have uh, replicated the model, you must be including uh, not just urban areas like Philadelphia, but some probably quite rural or even sparsely populated uh, areas. And I was thinking as you spoke, the overriding uh, principle to really uh, listen to what people want and need. And yet I think funders are probably also very focused on and what are the big issues and outcomes that we're seeing certainly in the rural areas today. 
the uh, maternity deserts and the, the uh, uh, increasingly negative outcomes um, of, of uh, pregnancy, uh, certainly the deaths of despair uh, addiction. How, how does impact tailor the training to help people, whether it's rural or urban, uh, understand those issues and have some of the specific knowledge necessary to be of help to people? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, great question. I think the key is that it's it's not just the training. Um, it starts again with the hiring. So uh, think about you know a rural community in Appalachia. You are going to want to recruit individuals from within that very community to be community health workers. So I'll give you I'll tell you a story. Um, there's a community health worker named Bree Burke um, who lives um, in uh, Tennessee. Uh, she grew up in a small community outside of. Um, um, one of the urban centers in Tennessee. And, you know, her father was a preacher. Her mom uh, was studying uh, to become a nurse. And she grew up knowing uh, what it meant to not have um, ends meet all the time. And yet her family always gave back. You know, she talks about uh, where there were days where her mom would cry because she didn't have enough food to feed the kids, but they would still pile in a car and give to others and, you know, visit people at their bedsides and share what little they had with others. That is someone who is going to grow up and be a community health worker, as she did. You know, as an adult, she said, I was shocked to find out that there is a job, you know, where I can just help my community because that's what I've always done. And then she meets uh, a patient, um, Serene, and I'm telling the story with permission. And this is a woman who has battled addiction and um, in the process of her addiction had lost her two children, her two young boys. And that's devastating for any mother. Um, and she had, uh, when she, at the time where she met Brie, she had become clean and was, had been clean for a couple of months, but was still homeless. Now, Brie became everything for her, you know, her confidant, her champion, her community health worker. First things first, you know, she had a whole list of medical conditions, but Serene didn't care about anything else except getting her boys back. And so that is what Brie focused on. Again, focus on what people have top of their mind. You can't lecture somebody about their A1C when they're worried about their kids. So she helped, um, you know, deal with all of the custody issues, get visitation set up, get all of her drug testing. She helped her to find um, a place to rent. And within two weeks, she was moving into a house because she had helped her find a job. She looked into a community um, group in her town that supplied her with, you know, furniture and toys for the kids. And with, before long, she had regained custody of her children. So that's a story to illustrate, you know, this approach works in every different kind of setting that you can imagine because it is by its very nature tailored not only to the community but to the individual. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, you're really talking about getting down to the roots of where people are and uh, how they're gonna grow, right? Grow up and grow into it and the pathway that we need to make. And I wanna talk a little bit about, you've talked about your roots, uh, about your Indian heritage uh, and what you saw when you visited India, how that country and others, including Native Americans, uh, have relied on community health workers for a long time, right? This is not just a, you know, this is not a flash in the pan hundreds of years ago. Uh, so. I'm wondering why there's a disconnect that people haven't connected back to the roots of this particular model. And what are you, do, what are you doing to try to educate people uh, uh, so they can uh, be grounded? Yeah, great question. 
community health workers are not a new workforce. They are a 300 year old workforce. Um, and one of the most important things for us to be able to do is learn from that 300 years of history. Uh, there has been a lot of work that's been done um, to advance the workforce and really importantly to learn what are the success factors. You know, over that 300 years, some community health worker programs were highly effective and others were not. What distinguished those um, successful community health worker programs really goes back to those same pillars, those core components of effectiveness. When we first started out, you know, 15 years ago, um, beyond doing what we called the porch tours, which was, you know, talking to 1500 patients, we also read every single paper that has come out of those 300 years of history to learn what, what made some programs really succeed. And that's how we got to, okay, well, it's these factors. You have to hire, you have to do the right training, you have to have such and such workflows. That's really what, you know, America at this critical juncture has the advantage of building upon because we can learn from um, all of our sister uh, program, community health worker programs um, in other countries. Why haven't we done this yet? Well, we didn't have a system that was designed um, for it. We uh, had a perversely designed system that was a sick care system and, and not something that was intended to generate health. Well, you, you uh, spoke about finding people with the right heart uh, for this work. And uh, obviously that is critical, uh, but even with the right heart and perhaps even more so with compassion and sensitivity, uh, people encounter very difficult situations. Not all situations have the outcome we all would uh, hope for. I'm really curious if you'd like to comment on what is necessary for support of the community health worker, uh, not just the training piece, but the the support that helps people uh, continue to do work, which really uh, calls forth great empathy, but also can be subject, as with everybody in healthcare, to burnout uh, and to a loss of that resiliency that's so important. Oh my gosh, that is that is a fantastic question, um, and and probably the most important point that I can make um, in this conversation is that it is not just about training. Uh, there is such a misconception um, in the community health worker field, but in workforce in general that, you know, it's all about training. But as you pointed out, there's so much more infrastructure that we need to provide to ensure that community health workers feel supported and are able to actually execute on the important work that they do. So for example, in the impact model, um, we've created workflows um, that really guide community health workers through all sorts of different situations um, that they might find themselves in. These aren't, you know, checklists. They do leave room for autonomy and flexibility, but you are not out on your own trying to understand, well, what do I do if, you know, Mrs. Jones has a gun? Or what do I do if somebody's boyfriend is upstairs and trying to hurt them? Um, these are very common situations that community health workers find themselves in. Um, and there's a myriad more um, that have to do with community health worker safety and well-being. So number one, working off of an evidence-informed model that provides these sorts of workflows is really critical. This is not something you can DIY or try this at home because then you won't have those supports where community health workers will know what to do in these tricky situations. The other piece is supervision. It's so critical to have supportive supervision. We know this from you know, World Health Organization implementation studies of global programs, as well as you know, our, our work in the United States. 
And in the impact model, for example, we don't just train community health workers, we train the supervisors because, uh, you know, you can train somebody until they're blue in the face, but if their boss doesn't understand their job or know how to support them, they're not going to get very far. And a lot of that supervision training and support is around burnout prevention and peer, um, you know, creating spaces for community health workers to share with their peers um, so that they can have that outlet for some of that real secondary trauma that they're going to experience in this role. I really like the sort of uh, thought that you really need to produce evidence-informed uh, uh, research. And, you know, uh, you may know we run the Weizmann Institute, so it's near and dear to our heart about uh, implementation and improvement science. And you've held focus groups with community health workers and published a research paper. And I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what did you ask of uh, the folks you were doing? What did you learn from, from the work? Yeah. Well, you know, it's probably not just one. Every time we do anything, it is uh, through participatory action research. And so, you know, all the way back 15 years ago when we first developed impact to, you know, yes, today, when we were designing a feature of our application that community health workers use, there's always community health workers in the room. Um, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Today, we were, you know, we have technology now that allows community health workers to really access all of those evidence-based workflows at their fingertips. It supports documentation. It supports them in, you know, setting and um, tracking goals that patients have created for themselves. And, you know, we had community health workers in the room today when we were deciding about a particular feature. And we uh, learned from them that, you know, they really want to continue to make sure that the actions that community health workers take are blessed by the patients that they're serving. Like, in other words, they didn't want to just have the community health worker do a screening, a screener for unmet social needs where, you know, you're asking somebody, hey, do you have enough food to eat? Do you, you know, face any intimate partner violence? Here's a number to a food pantry or here's a number to, you know, a, a shelter. That is not a transfer of power. What they said that they continue to want is you can do some assessments, but then at the end of the day, you have to ask the patient, what do you want to do with this information? What do you want to, um, to accomplish? And that really informed the design of the technology. So I can't just give you one answer because there's a thousand ways in which community health worker input has shaped impact. Well, you know, as I, I was thinking as you were speaking that uh, one always has to make the case for what they do, but you've made this case for decades and there is a long history before that. Other programs, uh, I was probably the most familiar with Pathways out in uh, Ohio, the late Dr. Uh, Redding yeah, yeah. Had, had decades of building a wonderful program. And one wonders why people always have to be asking for funding when you've demonstrated the savings, right, and the return into the community. I'm just curious if you, uh, you know, if you could wave your wand, would community health workers be a public utility the way we have public education? It's there, it's in a community, it's to be used as needed. Do you see it as being more effective tied to the healthcare system or the public healthcare system somehow or freestanding organizations? Really curious your thoughts on that. Maybe all the above, but what 